Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. This is your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm glad you could join us for episode 111. Now, that music that you may be hearing right now underneath my speaking is actually the Spider-Man main theme. It's arranged by J.D. Price for choir and orchestra, uh, and it was actually featured on an album called Superheroes, and uh, I believe the director of the orchestra was John Morris Russell of the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra. It's a great album. It's got, uh, I think, how many tracks like 15 uh tracks of different superman themes uh from tv and and movies and even radio i believe but today the reason i'm playing this spider-man song underneath uh, the conversation that's going to be going on is because today i am joined or rather i joined the real world theology podcast for a discussion about the amazing spider-man 2 movie now i'm not going to spoil right now what i thought of the movie you'll hear plenty of my thoughts over there but i do want to tell you guys that you should go check out their website at realworldtheology.com. Real is spelled R-E-E-L, like a movie reel, so when you're typing in real theology, make sure you look that up. The host is Fizz, or Mike Fizzle is his name, and his wife Laura also joined us for the conversation. They both had some terrific thoughts. They ha- uh, Mike has a wonderful podcast over there with lots of interesting guests. Um, nearly every week there's a different guest on the show, a little bit like this show. So, um, I was just honored to uh, be their, I don't know, resident comic book Spider-Man expert or something, I guess if you could call me that. Now, we had a great time discussing the Amazing Spider-Man 2 film, so uh, I want to refer you guys to their podcast. Check it out wherever great podcasts are found. Uh, this is going to appear on their podcast as well, except without my opening, because this is just specifically for me. But the conversation is actually going to be on their podcast this week as well. But I do encourage you guys to go check out their podcast. I'm really enjoying uh, catching up on back episodes of their show. It's a new show to me, but it's worth your time. They have a lot of thought-provoking um, discussion just about dealing with pop, cult- pop culture, not pulp culture, pop culture, uh, and what it means to interact with pop culture as a Christian. So uh, I, again, I encourage you to check out the Real World Theology Podcast. Uh, before we get into that conversation today, I do want to remind you that you can go to rickleejames.com. You can find uh, all kinds of stuff about me. There's lots of free sheet music there that you can download if you go to the link that says free sheet music. Um, different songs that I've written or arranged throughout the years. Um, there's links where you can buy my book, Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms, and I will be teaching a class on that book, really a class on the Psalms using that book as a text at Trevecca Nazarene University this September. So uh, if you're a student at Trevecca or you're in the Nashville area and would like to come be a part of a three-day, one-credit-hour course, uh, contact Trevecca Nazarene University or contact me and I can try to get you information about how to become a part of that class. Um, would love to, to have you be a part of that if you're a student or just even a, a lifetime learner and wanted to learn more about the Book of Psalms and have some great discussion together with some other um, worship-type people. Uh, it's going to be a great time. And uh, also, you can check out my music uh, on the website there. Now, I do want to remind you that if you buy my book, 
through Bandcamp, uh, you can actually get an autographed hardcover copy as well as uh, the full album of Basement Psalms Live. And throughout the book, I refer to different songs on the album. Uh, each chapter ends with lyrics from uh, the song that corresponds to that chapter, which is on the Basement Psalms Live album. So uh, while they are designed, as I've told you before, uh, to be read or listened to separately, they also complement each other well, and I think it'll make it a richer experience if you listen to both together. All right, well, that's the end of sort of the advertisement part of this show. I want to thank you for listening to Voices in My Head, and uh, some of you are faithful listeners every week. I appreciate the feedback that you give me, and uh, I'd love to hear more from you, what you're thinking of the show, if you like the direction we're going in, if uh, there's some things that we've done in the past you'd like to see again, or if there's some things in the future you'd like to see us do, I'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review on iTunes, or just go to my website, send me a message. Uh, You can find all the links there. Heck, just shoot me a, a Twitter uh, tweet at, uh, at Rick Lee James. That's my Twitter name. All right. Well, let's go right into the discussion today where I join uh, Mike, or Fizz as he calls himself, and his wife Laura. And we had a discussion about The Amazing Spider-Man 2, the movie that is in theaters right now. Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head, and God bless. Welcome to Real World Theology, episode 25. I am your host, Fizz. On this episode of the podcast, we keep the superhero talk going by looking at the second installment in the Amazing Spider-Man universe. It certainly isn't quite the same quality as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, oddly enough, uh, but it does feature Marvel's most popular and, to a certain degree, most relatable superhero. Uh, In this sequel, Spider-Man's responsibilities start to seriously affect Peter Parker, his alter ego's ability to function as a normal guy. From haunting visions of Gwen's father to never being anywhere he is supposed to be, especially on time, Peter struggles with... uh, what his ever-growing responsibility in both lives uh, needs to be. With his relationship with Gwen uncertain and Oscorp finding ways to create new villains, Peter Parker and Spider-Man may find that they are, uh, though that they are extraordinary, they both need help. Uh, identity, tough love, living in the moment, responsibility, and the power of choice, we have a lot of ground to cover. So, uh, with Introducing this week's guest, I just want to say that I'm loving that on the show that we're getting more and more people involved in the conversation. Like, I guess I don't technically know wholly how some of the, uh, the listeners feel, but I personally love the fact that I I have someone new on this show almost every show now mm-hmm. because there's so many people out there who are interested in the kind of engaging culture in this way. And with that said, um, this week we have returning to the show fan favorite <laughs> based on my own i'm a fan of the show and i'm a fan of you uh the, the gwen stacy to my peter parker Aww. laura fissel All right. um <laughs> see you had the clapping in the back that's right um joining her is first time guest uh who hopefully won't go green goblin on us mm. 
Uh, I, I'm the Norman Osborne of podcasting. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I normally wouldn't say that, but uh, from the Voices in My Head podcast, <laughs> uh, Rick Lee James. So welcome, Rick. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here and talk a little bit about Spidey tonight. All right. Well, um, so we're going to start this off like we do most, and then we'll kind of have like a side follow-up. But the, the first question is, did you enjoy the movie? And like we do it on the show, anyone who's calling over Skype gets to go first. So, Rick, uh, did you enjoy the movie? Uh, I I did and I didn't. I, I mean, it's, it's weird to say that, but I, I, there were parts that I really enjoyed and I thought, oh, this is fun. Uh, and we can get more in depth about what I didn't <laughs> in a few minutes here. Yeah. Um, but it's it's hard. I've been thinking a lot about it because I've actually been kind of trying to like figure out did I like this movie? Because <laughs> I mm-hmm. I came home and I told my wife I said yeah I I probably will you know I'll probably watch it again or when it comes out. And then I'm thinking I I don't know maybe maybe I will maybe they'll just like fast forward to certain parts I like because there's part, <laughs> parts that were really good and parts that I just thought oh man so um so let me let me just say I think I liked it <laughs> <laughs> I, I I had an enjoyable time and it beats changing diapers you know so I, I I wasn't changing diapers while I watched it so you know that's if that's my litmus test or, or my my bar that it comes up to then sure I liked it sure <laughs> it seems like you set the bar so low. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll preface things with this. Um, typically on the show, from the very beginning, we have like a, a spoiler alert. We don't have like a no spoiler section and a spoiler section. If we're going to be thought, talking about the themes, the narrative sure. uh, of the story, we're going to talk spoilers. So um, with that in mind, maybe without being really specific, like what parts could you give an example of maybe like an overview of some of things that you liked versus things that you didn't like? Um <clears throat> I think the parts that I liked were um, there was a couple parts where they were really faithful to some of the visions in the comic, and I, I've been a big fan of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man comics, um, really probably since I was a kid. I got away from it for a while. I came back as an adult later in life and started collecting them again, and not only reading the new ones but finding like back issues and things like that. So I, I'm pretty well versed in the entire Spider history, and so there were certain nods in the movie specific things that happened especially like the ending with Gwen Stacy things like that that I that I was like oh wow it's just like you know I finally I'm getting to see on screen what I've read and what I've loved mm-hmm. but then even within that there were things that were so unfaithful to the story <laughs> which I really don't have a problem with but I just felt like they they've changed enough that it almost has taken the punch out of what made it so memorable in the original story so mm-hmm. while there were some iconic type um, things that we saw on screen, um, such as the death of Gwen Stacy, you know, uh, which I think is the worst kept secret in the world. <laughs> yeah. As far as that goes. While, while that happened, even I, I was looking at the panel today of where it was drawn and, and the circumstance is different. It's, um, it's 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 shown much differently in the movie. Even the way that she's caught seems to be different than how it is, you know, in the in the comic. And so I'm like, if you're if you're going for iconic, you know, you've got her in the same outfit. You've got her. A lot of the details are right, but a whole lot of them are different. And even how she died is it's similar, but it's not quite there. So I don't know if that makes sense to say I, I like where they were faithful, but I really struggled. Um, 
and again, I don't struggle with them being unfaithful to a story if it's to tell a better story, but mm-hmm. I don't know that they necessarily change things in the way that, that made the story better. So, yeah. yeah. And, and there is a big difference between trying to tell a story through a comic or trying to tell a story, you know, just in a book mm-hmm. or trying to tell a visual, like, movie or even TV story. Like, all those mediums, you have to slightly change that. So it's understandable that they sure. change it. But then again, kind of like you're saying, I would I would agree that, you know, change it to make it better or right. change it to make it work. Don't change it just because you thought you had a better idea that's that you didn't run sure. by anybody first. And, and one of my main things, and we could talk more about this later, too, but one of the main things I really thought suffered was, you know, we talked about like Spider-Man 3 in, in the pre-show and how – that film kind of suffered a bit because they're trying to pack too many villains in. And I felt like, you know, the, the character, uh, Harry should have been the main villain all along. And Electro to me was like, well, he was really kind of insignificant to the whole storyline because the whole movie was pointing to this one moment <laughs> at the end. And we should have really been invested in this r- big bad villain that Harry became. And, and we sort of were because the actor was very engaging. I almost felt like, he was the best part of the movie in some ways, um, but we didn't see enough of his progression as to why he became this villain that uh, that ultimately does the big – what's supposed to stop your heart in the movie is kill Gwen Stacy. And we actually see him as the villain in, in like two minutes of screen time or something. You know, it's, yeah. almo- it's mm-hmm. almost like the end of Spider-Man 3 where they – you know, they just like, oh, yeah, and there's Venom, too. You know, it kind of throw him in at the end of the movie, like, oh, there was a second villain? Where was he the whole movie, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, um, Laura, did you enjoy the movie? <clears throat> um, I feel pretty much exactly the same way. And um, there's a review link that you sent us um, before the show from Elijah Davidson from Real Spirituality, I think. Uh is the site, but I feel pretty much how he described the movie. He basically goes through each part and says, I'd love to see a movie called the amazing Aunt May or the amazing Gwen Stacy or the amazing Max Dillon, or basically all the different parts that they were all good. But then I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know about you guys, but when you're knitting a sweater, (laughs) you knit like all the panels, like the sleeves and the front and the back. All of those look great, but then when they tried to seam them together, the seams were so ugly and loose, and um, that the whole thing I felt like didn't work together. But I like the pieces so much that I wish it could have been different. I wish it could have been seamed together a little bit better. The transitions could have been better. Um, yeah, I think back on you know on parts that I would. I tried to think back on on parts of the movie and decide for myself what I okay you're giving me hand gestures and I don't know what you're <laughs> gesturing what do you want me to do talk this way. <laughs> okay I will talk I don't this know way. why you're gazing along and lay off into the distance <laughs> um, I'm trying to visualize the movie um so I tried to think about like Electro and say oh I would just take him out of the film but there were some scenes that he was in that I thought were really powerful and so there's not necessarily a whole villain or um, a whole section that I would um, that I hated, I guess. Um, maybe I just wish they weren't in there in the first place to make me <laughs> like them. <laughs> then, um, but anyway, yeah, I um, there's a trailer. Well, pretty much any trailer I've seen, 
now that I've seen the movie, I look back at those trailers and think, that's not really what this movie is about. Or like, where's Harry in that trailer? I mean, like, to me as a storyteller, like who is currently trying to encapsulate my own story into a couple of sentences in order to sell it to an agent. Um, I don't even know how I would query this story because there's so many pieces. How do you distill that? Mm -hmm. And if you can't distill it into one or two sentences, then do you really have a strong story? Well, and I think that when you, when you put it that way, I think one of the faults with lots of the Spider-Man movies, um, and not that we've quite gotten this far yet, but what, what, where you're going reminds me that I think, unfortunately, most of the Spider-Man films, the Sam Raimi and the new uh, Mark Webb ones, they, they all have the same kind of query. They're all like Peter Parker balances his life between superhero and regular guy while trying to overcome villains and maintain his relationships. That's like every Spider-Man movie. Yeah, I guess so. But when I think about this latest installment, that's not the thing that I think about the most. But that's what's going on. I guess so, but it's but not like the yeah. primary. It's not at the forefront. Maybe if something that overarching had, maybe that could have tied everything together. But it wasn't. It wasn't at the forefront any more than any other theme I felt was really at the forefront. Well, and I think that's part of the problem. I don't think that should be. I don't think you should be able to get away with using the same mm. the same query basically for five Spider-Man movies now. Um, I think you should you should have specific focus, especially on a, a character that's as relatable mm -hmm. as Peter Parker and you know him having to wrestle with Spider-Man. Uh, I think that's so relatable that you can do a lot of things with it. But they just kind of keep falling back into this this one thing. Hmm. But is there anything else that you want to say? Um, <clears throat> there's a lot I would like to say about, if, about, <laughs> about, did you enjoy the movie? No, maybe not. Okay. Um, well, I, I it's funny, uh, Rick, you, you basically started your, uh, did I like it exactly like I have mine written down because <laughs> I, I put, well, I did and I didn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I thought, I thought the movie did a, a couple things that I mean, I really, really liked, not just like mm -hmm. I really liked, but I really, really liked, um, and I mean, in general, I just really like Spider-Man now. Yeah. Um, I like how he acts when he's in the costume. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's more true to the Spider-Man that I knew and grew up with, even though I would be, you know, I would be far removed to say that I have uh, thorough comic knowledge of him, um, like you do, Rick. But, uh, but that's the one I remember. That's the one I, I fell in love with. That's why he was my favorite superhero mm -hmm. for the longest time. Um but you take that and then you kind of put the other uh, other side of it, like the things they did badly. Like I just, I mean, you go, you guys have both kind of danced around it or, or basically said it. You know, I just didn't think the story developed right. Like they're right. trying to cram too much. Like they're so, Sony is so focused on three movies down the road mm -hmm. and putting things in to build up like Spider-Man Four or you know Venom eventually or you know the Sinister Six based in Oscorp thing. Yeah. That had nothing to do with the central conflict in this movie. Yeah. That I don't understand why it was there. And, and I even commented on um, uh, one review of it that I was kind of like, you know, maybe we'll look back after Spider-Man 3 comes out or Spider-Man 4 comes out and we'll, we'll watch 2 again and say, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, mm. that, that thing. 
that you know that, that pointed to the thing all along, and it'll blow our minds or something. But right now, <laughs> it feels bloated yeah. and unnecessary. Like, uh, I, I just, I, I feel like the entire thing with Peter's like parents should have been in the first movie and not in this movie at all. Uh, <laughs> I, while there were some scenes with Electro that I was kind of okay with. I could have done without Electro altogether, and I completely agree, Rick. I think yeah. I think the they should have just focused on Peter and Harry and Spider-Man and Green Goblin. Um, and if they would have done that and did what they what they did with Peter and Gwen, mm-hmm. then I think this movie would have had the focus it needed, mm-hmm. and the payoff would have even been better than I think it ended up working or yeah. how, how it ended up working. I mean, because yeah. I think it worked because of, because of the chemistry between you know. Yeah, uh, Garfield and uh, Emma Stone, mm-hmm. but you know I think it could have been ten times that yeah. if they would have not just thrown uh, Green Goblin in there. Because actually, when we left the theater, I remember talking to Laura and I was like, I feel like they could have done without Green Goblin. No, wait, Green Goblin was the thing that they needed to you know do what they were trying to do by yeah. the end of the film. So wait, so did they did they start with the idea that they wanted to kill Gwen Stacy, yeah. and that shaped uh, Spider Man? And yeah. then realize, oh crap, we need Green Goblin. Or did they start with Electro? I mean, where did they start the story at? Yeah. Well, and um, I, I, I just to interrupt you a second. No. It's. I thought it was so weird that like because the Green Goblin in the comics that I mean Harry was only the Green Goblin for a very short time in the actual Spider-Man comics. Everybody, if you ask a, a like a Spider-Man reader, knows the Green Goblin is Norman. Mm-hmm. And Norman showed up for his deathbed scene, you know, <laughs> and and or I was, was it his deathbed or was it? Yeah, exactly. And and he <laughs> he looked all green and everything, but I thought this just like we really are not getting the goblin even, you know, until like it, it just it could have been such a powerful punch at the end of the film when the goblin does that, but we we spent so much time focusing on Electro, who. For whatever reason, I mean, he he seemed almost like he was uh, mentally handicapped or something, you know. This villain that, for, for whatever way they they wrote him or how he was played, I just felt like, gosh, this villain is just not. And like the way they took him out was like give him a whole bunch of power. I was like, well, he just took all the power. That was the thing that was giving him power. So we're going to kill him by giving him power? And it was like... It's because of science. It's, yeah, yeah, because science. That's why. And, and a car battery will turn you into a magnet. And it was just like... It's so really what we should have... I, I agree with you totally. I didn't... I, I was kind of excited about Electro because I like him as a villain, but I like Jamie Foxx a lot. I like Electro. I didn't care for him at all in this film. But well, let me let me let me say something and then pose the question. Okay. Uh, to me, I tried to really think about why Electro was in this film at all, and the only real, I mean, the only real purpose I can see is to prove that Oscorp is bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, but but I already know Oscorp is bad. Yeah. I mean. I mean you either got you, like you don't need what happened to Peter's parents and Electro to show me that Oscorp's bad. Heck, just because of more or less the hinting from last movie or from the original or well the original from the Amazing Spider-Man, the first one, um, I could tell that Oscorp was not on the level. Heck, just because Norman Norman Osborn was kind of 
and it was skeezy in his bed. I was like, obviously the head of Oscorp was not on the straight and narrow either. Yeah. You know, I didn't right. need an entire villain just to show me that. So, yeah. so, but that's as far as I could get. So can you think, I mean, like why was Electro in this film at all? When I thought about that question, I, the first thing that came to my mind is that they needed something to d- be distracting Peter that he was preoccupied with that the, like the battle that he thinks is the greatest battle he's fighting while his friendship with Harry is turning sour. I mean, because that thing was happening so gradually because Harry's getting sick gradually and then like finding out things about his father gradually. And you know what, if, if um, Electro is not there, what is Peter doing? You know, I mean, they could have had him just solving normal everyday <laughs> crime in the city. Just go back to the comics where he's just stopping bank robbers all the time. There like you go. all superheroes. <laughs> um so and I mean if they had done that, would that have been compelling enough while we're, you know, watching this other thing slowly develop? I don't know. But that was what that's what came to my mind is that it was yeah. something to something that is preoccupying him and his mind and keeping him busy or, you know, whatever. Is I, like an example of what his life is like as you know, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, trying to balance the two. Yeah, and I, 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 I think he was there, honestly. This may be just too simplistic, but I think he was a way to give them a big special effects extravaganza. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, okay, we can make this seem really big and menacing. We'll use Electro. Or I don't know why he didn't turn into Eel Man, you know, and he fell in that tank of eels. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, well, he's getting, why the energy? He's getting bit by eels. I guess he's going to turn into the electric eel or something because you know? he would have been useless like aquaman yeah in, in the comics he's actually a lineman working for an electric company and he gets hit by lightning and that somehow transforms him so i guess they needed something <laughs> different than that but i i think it's again i think it is probably somewhat you said about oz uh, oscorp is bad um but you know again we didn't need that it's I, i'm i'm afraid that Every single thing in the movies from now on and from the beginning are going to revolve around Oscorp causing them all, you know, and because um, we saw Dr. Octopus's um, arms and we saw like the vulture's wings and we see, you know, everything is in Oscorp. So I'm like, so are we just going to say that the only source of evil in the world is Oscorp, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yes. And couldn't Spidey just figure this out and be like, okay, we need to just shut down Oscorp. And we'll, <laughs> Cause it was like, I don't know. And in, in the comics, at least there's a diversity. I thought, you know, what if Harry, instead of randomly crawling to the goblin suit, crawled over and became doc, Dr. Octopus instead, you know, <laughs> like better movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause that was almost, and I know they, they showed the suit beforehand. So that was coming, but I was like, he's in the hall of, suits you know <laughs> he could become so basically yeah well, basically he, all these supervillains are already created by oscorp they're all mm-hmm. in they're all in their designated booth <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like we're just waiting our turn to go attack spider-man you know? yeah hmm. well so. and that's how that's how well like i said i feel like almost every good thing had had the bad thing attached to it or vice versa yeah. um and I, i'll get to that later but i think one of the things that i think they really missed on um, to kind of shift gears here is when, when they, they they had a a good thing or a good idea started with this whole relationship between Peter um, and Harry. Yeah. Uh, like you know, for some of the things that I wasn't on board with with their their conversations and stuff, I, I didn't. Uh, I did feel like there was some there was some believability to their their friendship reunited. Yeah. 
And I felt like there could have been a lot of tension there. And I think they missed a good moment because something that I, I felt like just kind of got glossed over was the fact that because Peter, as Spider-Man, you know, lo- like he was, well, he loved, but he cared for Harry and he knew what um, giving him his blood would do. He had to say no to Harry. And this is like one of the most loving things a friend can do for another friend. And it just kind of, it was just, you know, just a thing that they did. So he'd go turn, he'd get really, he'd throw a tantrum and go turn to the Green Goblin. Yeah. Um, and I really felt that could have been more of a conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. The history of Harry in the comics too is, you know, he, he was always a bully to Peter all throughout their young lives and didn't become a friend until way later on in in the story um it you know flash thompson also you know always picked on peter and eventually they became friends there's kind of like you grew up and came through that but i i just thought it was interesting because it felt like to me they were just trying to fit that relationship into the the sam raimi movies you know, like, because in that film, Harry and Peter have always been good friends, you know, but that's really, that's really not the case in the comics. It's always a very strained, tenuous relationship. So again, it's like, I feel like, wow, you, you could have maybe done that storyline too, you know, where, where Harry was one of them picking on Peter in the beginning. And that, that would kind of give you the idea that, um, to me, it was like, Maybe there was a friendship, but Harry's kind of a spoiled jerk, you know? <laughs> and kind of. <laughs> I mean, really, he is, and, and in the comics, that was always his thing. He's a spoiled rich kid, he's dumb, he doesn't care about anything, you know, scientific, and he just kind of is, is a spoiled rich kid all throughout. And, uh, and I just really felt like, for some reason, th- they're still just wanting to retread ground that you know sony did with the first spider-man films mm-hmm. and i think it would have been interesting to you know in in the first amazing spider-man film we had flash thompson who uh was picking on peter but then after the uncle died very true to flash in the comics flash comes up to actually console peter uh, mm-hmm. because you start seeing oh there is some humanity inside of this jerk you know <laughs> and yeah. uh i i kind of wish we would have obviously you can only do so much in a film but i kind of wish we would have got that dynamic with that relationship because all peter ever says in this film was like oh you were so good to me and you were such a good friend and so close and helped me through such a hard time and i'm here to help you now and i, I guess that works for the story but i think you could have really Again, leave Electro out and focus on this complex relationship between those two people, and I think you'd have a whole lot of story going on there. But that's just my take on it. But. No, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, I have a hard time thinking about what the what the main theme is of this movie because there are so many fragments here and there that I think aren't fully developed enough that um, – there's a clear message. But one thing that I found interesting that seemed like a common thread through the film is this idea that the people in our lives shape who we are and their choices shape our choices and our choices shape other people. And the thing that I saw just a glimmer of with um, like Harry and his father and then things that Peter was discovering about his father is that idea of like le- legacy and fate versus choice. And um, I mean, Harry seemed to follow pretty clearly the path that his father had already blazed for him. The trail he'd already blazed mm-hmm. for him 
Um, and for whatever reason, even though he didn't know him very long, Peter was finding himself um, with the same values and morals as his father. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it would have been really interesting, I think, to see that comparison, you know, like what makes one person turn down yeah. a path where they destroy and another person choose the path of life and hope. Um, you know, is it anyway, I would have really liked to have seen that develop. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's cause, uh, Harry didn't listen to Gwen's graduation speech. <laughs> that was the, that's the missing factor. <laughs> that, that honestly, other than my conversion as a Christian, that speech is what really changed my life. Let's be honest. (laughs) That is is what we were supposed to take from that, right? It it changes everything. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, that that was the thing. Harry uh, himself, like, he didn't seem to have any love or really any pity for his father, Norman. Um, But then he found out he was dying. And suddenly he couldn't cruise through life anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he beca- he kind of became a jerk once he realized his, his time was fleeting. And instead of using his time to do the most he could, he spent trying to figure out how he could buy mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, Gwen gives this speech and, and while admittingly it's, it's pretty kind of nihilistic at times, or it kind of has like a nihilistic message of like seize the day, you know, do good while you can kind of thing. Uh, it, it does really focus on the fact that like we're not here forever. Yeah. Um, so what are you going to do with that time? And and more so than Spider Man or Peter Parker, you know, however you want to define his decisions at any given time. Gwen is, I think, the embodiment of this. Yeah. Gwen is... One of the things I love about this movie is Gwen's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Especially when we, we went back and watched the first... Uh, we watched, watched Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 and saw Mary Jane's character. Yeah, she looks like a paper doll next to Gwen Stacy. <laughs> yeah, she, she, she has almost no substance. And, yeah. And, and that isn't anything, I think, even to do with the actress. It's just how she, she was written. And the first one, she is... She's whimsical. She doesn't know what she wants. She's basically always a damsel in distress. Yeah. She she really doesn't bring anything. I would say I, was, I, I hate <laughs> to try not to be harsh. Yeah, <laughs> I hate I hate to use absolutes, but I really feel like she doesn't really bring anything <clears throat> that makes Peter or Spider Man better. Right. Except for his longing for something that he's wanted. Yeah. Now Gwen, on the other hand, in the new movie, she's like. To a certain degree, independent. She's, you know, she's not just smart. She's like valedictorian smart. She's got an internship at this super huge, really smart bio lab, you know, at Oscorp. She, you know, and not only that, but she's like, look, this is my view on life. Mm-hmm. I have to do something while I'm here. You know, my time is fleeting. I think she even, um, I don't think I have a quote, but you know, it's basically like, uh, we all, oh yeah, I do. She says, I know, I know we all think we're immortal. We're supposed to feel that way. Um, the future is and should be for us, but what makes life valuable is, is that it doesn't last forever. Uh, what makes it precious is that it ends. And while that's kind of a corruption of what I think we as Christians believe that it's still something that she's faithful to and her uh, strict belief in the words that are coming out of her mouth. 
uh, is what changes Peter mm-hmm. and what affects him and shapes him. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. She was she was one of the bright points of of the film. I thought uh, in, in this movie for sure. Um, as as well as I think his name's Dane DeHaan, uh, mm-hmm. who who played uh, uh, Harry. Harry. Yeah. I, I thought he was fantastic. I mean, <laughs> I thought, gosh, he should have played Peter Parker. You know, um, <laughs> I, honestly, I I felt like the supporting roles were great, and 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 both Harry and uh, Emma Stone's. Uh, Gwen Stacy character, right? I, yeah. Feels, I think it's an amazing Aunt May. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just really felt like, oh, man, I'm going to miss uh, Gwen Stacy in these films mm-hmm. um, because I did ad- admire kind of more who she was. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, she was the stronger character of all of them because, like, even to the point where, Peter, I break up with you, you know, like she's she was willing where Peter wasn't to make the hard decisions, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm I'm tired of this. I'm going to cut it off. You know, again, life is only so long and I'm not going to live it this way. And uh, and and Peter never, ever commits like he's just so wishy washy with like, I guess I would say um, he shows love, but he doesn't show agape love in the way that Gwen does because if agape is actually selfless and doing what is best for the other you know like she has a much better concept of okay if we can't be together then it's going to be hard for us to be friends so I'm going to go far away you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and and Peter which is the most loving thing to do right exactly and Peter just never gets that it's just almost cruel because you know we've we've probably all anybody listening has probably experienced that you know, unrequited love that just won't go away, you know, <laughs> and it's, and it's like, like, I love you. No, go away. I love you. Go away. You know, and it's, it's almost like Peter does that, you know, through the last film and through this one. I know they kind of had to do that to get them back together, but I really felt like, gosh, she, she almost had the strength of character that nobody else in the film had. Well, and to a, well, to a certain degree, I feel like I've had this in my own life because, um, even though I'm not Spider-Man, you're not, uh, I, if I was, what? Would, I, would I tell you? <laughs> Probably not, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, like, Gwen didn't have her father showing up and haunting her, you know? Right. I mean, this this is, this is very similar to when I, I wanted to start dating Laura, and anytime I'd want to go date her, I'd have this this image of her father saying, you know, you don't bring her into this. <laughs> um, so... Um, but you know, eventually we decided and hopefully, you know, Laura doesn't die, um, at the hands of one of my supervillains, <laughs> but you know, you like having to overcome, uh, that like, it's not like he's making a, a necessarily a bad moral decision, you know, yeah. he's trying to respect the wishes of the father. Sure. Um, and he understands that he's wrestling with something, but I think the thing that Gwen gets right that he doesn't is that sometimes our, our actions have consequences. Yeah. But sometimes there's con- the chance of those consequences is worth it. Hmm. You know, I think fear often leads us to hesitate or, you know, like, Oh man, I would do this thing if it just wasn't for, you know, this other thing that might happen. You know, we, we all, we sure. only have, we're only on this planet for a very short amount of time. And if given, I don't necessarily, you know, trying to infuse too much, um, uh, 
theology into the film. Obviously, I don't think Peter Parker had a call from God necessarily to be Spider-Man. Right. Mm-hmm. But like in our lives, if we if we feel like we're supposed to do something or we're called or we're created to do something and we let fear stand in that way just because we might get hurt or something might not turn out the way we want it or it might not always be easy. I mean, that's that's us not doing what we were created to do. Um, and I think I understand that fear that Peter has in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it would have been really compelling too. It would have, it would have, um, drawn a, a firmer line in the sand. If on the one hand you have Gwen saying, I love you more than I love, I love Peter Parker more than I love Spider-Man. I want to be with you despite the consequences. Um, and then you have Peter saying, I can't do this. I'm too scared of losing you. And it's not right for me to put you in danger. But um, Peter isn't stalwart in that belief. Like he, even though um, he respects her wishes or whatever and stays away from her for a year, he stalks her. He (laughs) kisses her when he runs into her. He, you know, just acts like a lovesick puppy dog instead of saying, I made this choice. It's dangerous for her. I'm done, you know? And then at the end makes the total opposite choice that he, you know, made in that rushed scene outside the restaurant (laughs) Um, and says, I'm going to follow you to England, you know, and we got crab in England. (laughs) Yeah. So he still didn't, you know, he, he was still really wishy washy. I wish that, um, I mean, maybe it's supposed to be that way. Maybe it's one of his flaws is that he is so in love that he can't bring himself to make that hard choice that Gwen made. But, um, but yeah, he, it would have been really noble if he was going to stay away from her for her safety. It could have been very noble, you know, but he didn't really make that choice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I was really glad as we're talking about this, I was really glad. I'm just thinking, like, it seems like almost every second superhero movie, whether it's Spider-Man or Iron Man or whatever, like, the original Raimi films were like this. Superman 2 was like this. Um, the hero always goes through this time of, oh, I don't want to be the hero anymore. You know, I want something else. And it's almost like they, they replace that with, I don't want to date them anymore. You know, it's like, that was, so in some ways, at first I was like, you know, I thought we missed that. I was going to be like, oh, awesome. At least we didn't have to carry out that old trope again. And then I was like, but we, I guess we kind of did because we did it instead of like, I don't want to be a hero. It's like, I can't date them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, well, I mean, but to a certain degree, he's still doing that because yeah. he, he knows that if he decides Gwen in his mind, he knows that he's probably got to stop yeah. being something that's a big part of him. Yeah, definitely. So it's, even though it's not stated kind of like it was in Spider-Man yeah. 2, when he starts to magically lose his powers. Yeah. When he's not really into it. Yeah. Um, for all the sense that makes. It was yeah. psychosomatic. Uh, it's on his head. I don't know. I felt like that was actually pretty strong and compelling in the second, in the, in Spider-Man 2, as opposed to Amazing Spider-Man 2. Was that yeah. he had to, he had to make the choice even so much as flinging himself off a building, not knowing if he was going to be able to shoot webs because he's making the choice to be Spider-Man, you know? I thought that was a good way to show how difficult a choice that was to make. And, you know, if that is the same theme that's going on in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I didn't really pick up on that so much. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't have too much. Uh, I You know, it's interesting. I, I was trying to think back about how well those 
Raimi films hold up, and I think parts of them work really well and parts of them don't. Uh, but two is two is definitely my favorite of all of those, and um, and I, and that that was a good part where he had to decide if he's going to be Spider Man. Uh, but again, it does it was kind of like because. He, yeah, like you said, he wasn't into it. He lost his powers or whatever. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure how that works because all of a sudden he's got him back again. And uh, so I, I'll, I'll say this: I'm glad we didn't have something like that in this film. But I did feel like um, I, I'll tell you what I'd like to see in a superhero film is almost one reason I think Iron Man was so appealing and why some of these comics are actually appealing to people is they aren't all trying to be Batman. And mm-hmm. and to an, a certain extent, like there's there actually are comics where heroes enjoy being heroes, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and they actually are liking it. And there is a lot in, in Peter Parker's life that um, I mean, he is always worrying about his aunt. He is always worrying about if, um, you know, his being Spider-Man is going to hurt the people he loves. He's always got to be very careful. But they did try, at least in this film, to show some of the joy that Spider-Man has, you know, of being Spider-Man. I mean, from the very first time we see him, he's like falling through the sky and he's having so much fun. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, there is a sense in which I'd like to see them really explore that side of the hero. He's always so tortured in all these films, but there actually are like storylines where he's not tortured. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I, and I do feel like it's some of the influence of the success of like the, the Christopher Nolan films, which with Batman, which were just incredible. I love those films. Um, but, but that's Batman and he is that dark and he is that, you know, brooding and hard. it's like, I'd love to see just like, cause Spider-Man is all about quips and he's all about jokes. And, and even on his worst day, he's always got like, He's wisecracking some criminal and stuff, and they did a little bit more of that in this film than they have in some of the other ones. But um, I would have really liked to have seen them. Um, I think for me, it would have worked to see like Spider-Man really enjoying being Spider-Man and and not struggling so much all the way through this film with whether he was going to be um, with Gwen. And then the punch of the film being like, what if we had like this this like almost like. Uh, I'm loving being a hero. This is awesome. The fights happen. And then at the end, there's this big consequence that we didn't see coming. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, bam, all of a sudden, because of his choices of doing this, someone he loved got hurt. And maybe it would have put some more punch into, like, what was going on in this film. Like, if we would have seen a little more of that joy throughout rather than the constant, like, oh, I really want to be with you. Oh, I really want to be with you. know, But I can't Mm -hmm. because you'll get hurt. Or I can't because... Jedi, your father is always behind you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Making that face. Yeah, but I don't know. If, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but I really feel like that kind of thing would have like really put a lump in our throat at the end. Be like, mm. oh my gosh, like there are consequences. It's, I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the reasons that um, like Breaking Bad worked so well as a show. I don't know how how much of that you guys have seen, uh, but like. That show is all about there's a consequence to every action, even when mm-hmm. they think they're having a fantastic time. And uh, I, I would like to see just a little bit lighter of a Spider-Man film and and get and make those punchy parts where they want us to have our heart stop really count. And I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Well, well I think it, I think it maybe we got that at the end of this film. Like once he gets kind of that pep talk from Gwen. I mean, given he's always going to carry that. Um, that piece of Gwen with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, you know, sh- when she's like, 
you know, there'll be days when you feel all alone and that's when hope is needed most. I think he kind of embraces that at the end and he realizes that uh, he becomes completely quirky. He loves what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, does he understands why he is? He's fully at peace with his identity, and he you know, he jumps to fight the rhino. Um, and I, I feel like the next film can be like that. Yeah. Um, he'll obviously you know have a hard time kind of moving on from Gwen, but you know right now he's in, or at least it seems like he should be fully embracing Spider Man. He shouldn't be wrestling with that anymore because he, he he's maybe learned that lesson. Yeah, and can move on. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what his, what the major conflict is in the next one if they don't go that route. Yeah, I feel I almost feel like <clears throat> I did feel a little bit of what you're saying, Rick. About, um, I mean, I I did feel the impact of Gwen's death really hard. Like, I didn't love love the movie. I didn't hate the movie, but when I <clears throat> went away I couldn't stop thinking about that scene and how just how depressing it was yeah because she was the hero and um yeah and even as I saw her falling I I haven't read any of the comics but a long time ago Mikey had told me even before I think the amazing spider-man came out sure you had told me that his original love interest was Gwen Stacy and that she died and she'd snapped her neck or whatever Mm -hmm. and so I'm watching her falling and his net you know his net reaching out for her like a hand and I'm thinking they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Are they going to do it? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And I said something that I may not be able to say on the podcast <laughs> in the movie when it happened, just because it was such a visceral reaction, you know, when her head snaps back. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and I think I felt it really hard because of the scene um, when he like writes, I love you and the bridge. And then they are up on that ridiculously high place, having yeah. no fear of heights. <laughs> um <laughs> And saying, all right, fine, we're going to try to do this. We're going to choose to be together. You know, we're going to choose happiness. We're going to choose life. And then a few minutes, you know, not very long later, she's gone. And I think I felt that the impact pretty hard because it was like, well, what was the point of even choosing that? You know, yeah. like sometimes it feels like choosing happiness in the face of impending doom is pointless, you know. Which I guess is what Gwen's speech is trying to pull Peter back from. Yeah. That it's in the darkest, you know, what she say? We have to be bigger than our suffering. We have to be better than our suffering. Yeah. Um, uh, but I felt that pretty, pretty well, hard. I, I'll be honest. I mean, I felt it really hard, too. I, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to say it wasn't well done. I, mm-hmm. I think I think it could have been even more, like, powerful. But, I mean, I, they did kind of turn it around uh, in a big way for me when that happened because you were so invested in Gwen. But I'll tell you something that I really – it's the same thing in the comics as it is in the film, as it is in life. Um, when she dies, there's not a death speech. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, Peter, you must remember to not – you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because mm-hmm. we're, we're so used to that because in film so often – we can't even allow death to be final like it is in real life. You know, like mm-hmm. when people people in real life rarely get to make that final, uh, you know, uh, take care of your aunt, Peter, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, yeah. whatever. It's usually just like this. Oh, no, it's it's over. And that was mm-hmm. one thing that I think made us feel it so strong in this film. They um, just say goodbye. Yeah, in, in the comics, and I think it's definitely implied in the film in the same way. One thing I liked about this was, I mean, it's implied that Peter killed her because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, 
it's really i mean she would have died anyway but at the same time it's like the the force of her being caught by his web it, it just it like snapped her you know it was and so to to an extent it was like she's gone there's no goodbye I did this, you know, mm-hmm. and and he he both literally and figuratively killed her, you know, because his villains killed her, the, the consequences of his choices killed her, but also he actually, um, I mean, if he hadn't caught her, she would have died anyway, but again, it was his web catching her that snapped her neck or whatever it was that did there, because obviously she didn't hit the ground, but something would have had to really have have you know broken in her for that to happen so that's been long debated in the comic world is did peter actually kill gwen you know and and in the comics you know she's falling towards a river um you know and and they're saying like what if he hadn't caught her maybe she would have been okay she would have just landed in the water you know which that scene where it sets up where he does the i love you and they're standing on the big bridge there in new york that's the scene in the comic where she dies you know Mm. and so they weren't inside of a building or anything so i all that is to say yeah it was a really powerful death scene for sure and it really did stick with you does he say i think i i've seen like a i've seen pictures of that page from the comic like on the internet the last few days Uh but does peter say in the movie like over her body like i saved you but i saved you because i i thought i saw that like in the comic where he says uh i you know what i'd have to uh i'd have to look that up again i can't remember what he says but it's it's whether it says it or not it's definitely implied Mm -hmm. because because he's like uh, it seems like, yeah, I caught you, you know, mm-hmm. like before he realizes she's dead. Um, mm-hmm. I could probably find it fairly quick online if I looked, but I, mean, yeah. see, I thought I saw the panel too, and he said something smart, like, not only am I the best looking, but yeah, but my he, web, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, let's see, I've got it right here. I've got to, I yeah, I did it. I've got it. I've got to. I've got to. Spider powers. I love you. Not only am I the most uh, dashing. Hero on two legs, and then the then he finds out she's dead, you know, mm. right after that. So yeah, he he does think he's saved her, um, but nope, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say one of the one of the things that really, I, I guess that made the death stick with me is that even though I know you know Peter's going to blame himself for it. To some degree, and well, obviously he does blame himself for it because that's why we see like the the seasons change and mm-hmm. him standing there, obviously very remorseful um, and regretful of her uh, passing. But I think the the difference in the comic and in this that I actually like is that I don't think it necessarily it you know it's not in my opinion it's not Peter's fault or well it's not Spider Man's fault. Um, I, I think it's Gwen's choice. Yeah, um, which is one of the reasons I, you know I, one of the things I really think they did right was Gwen in this movie because, like I said, she's not like Mary Jane in the first trilogy. She's not like always helpless. Mm-hmm. Like she, there was no reason for her to even be there. Mm-hmm. Um, hypothetically, if she if she would have been like Mary Jane's character, but she's like, I know how to do this. I'm smart. I'm capable. I completely understand the decision that I'm making right now mm-hmm. and that it will have consequences. But I realize by not making this decision, there's also consequences. And she, to a certain degree, puts herself in this situation. Yeah. Um, so to me, instead of Peter being the only person who risks 
in this relationship, both of them are risking in the relationship. And I think that's why it hurts so bad to have that relationship end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because it, you know, it wasn't like him pining after her, like they were pining after each other and they were willing real loss. Yeah. He's really lost something from his life with her absence. It's not just something that can be easily replaced. Like you were saying, Mary Jane doesn't seem to, you know, add anything necessarily to him or change him in any way. But Gwen does. Yeah. Or at least the Mary Jane from the first. Right. Right. Sure. I can't imagine them going through and adding Mary Jane later in this um, this amazing universe and yeah. not giving her probably a little more substance than they gave um, what Kirsten Dunst in the, mm-hmm. the yeah. first one. Well, Gwen, um, Gwen wasn't like that in the comics, was she? She's not like the Emma Stone version. No, not at all. Matter of fact, she's mm-hmm. kind of not very likable in the comics. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of them, she's sort of this nagging girlfriend. She never, I, I don't think she ever realizes that Peter is Spider-Man. Uh, before she dies, which is kind of interesting. And, and when she does die at the end of that issue, or maybe it's the following issue, it's, uh, uh, you know, after he has gone after the goblin, it's Mary Jane who comforts him because hmm. she's been present the whole time. It's, it's almost been like this uh, Archie, Veronica, and Betty relationship <laughs> between Mary Jane and Peter and uh and Gwen Stacy. So I, I thought they were going to maybe introduce Mary Jane as the friend that was going to be comforting him in this one because it'll be interesting to see how they bring her in. But she definitely has Mary Jane has a lot more substance in the, mm. the original stories and uh, and is uh, among fanboys liked a lot better than Gwen Stacy as mm. far as a love interest for Peter. So that's why it was kind of a disappointment in the films that you didn't really get to see the Mary Jane that's in the comics. Yeah. Well, that's uh, interesting too because it there was a lot of stories before the movie came out about how um Shailene Woodley, the 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 lead from Divergent, sure, uh was cast as Mary Jane and actually had a, a scene filmed uh for Amazing Spider-Man 2 that mm-hmm. was eventually cut yeah. from the final final cut. Um you know, cast as Mary Jane and uh, I, I'm curious now to see if they want to introduce her differently mm-hmm. or if the only reason they cut her was because she decided that she didn't want to be in like the amazing franchise and try to handle the divergent franchise as well. Yeah, <laughs> two big um, ones. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that's not the case because I, I, I like her as an actress and I think she has the, the chops to kind of like portray a character that has some depth, um, even with little, little material to work with. Um, so... I guess we'll see one way or the other, but I'm really hoping that I wanted, I did kind of like you're saying, I did want to see Mary Jane there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted her to be established, not just kind of come in at the end being like, okay, a year later, spider Man still fighting crime. And yeah. Hey, I just happened to run into Mary Jane and I fall in love. Right. I, think it would have, I think it would have been <laughs> a lot better if she would have been there all along. Um, but then again, they would have to make Gwen different. Ah, so many choices. I don't know. I really think they had space in this movie for one more storyline. <laughs> That's right. We yeah. could just go ahead and push this to two hours or four yeah. hours. Had an intermission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get, get the get the get the full price. It's the um, it's the mad 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 world of superhero movies with this <laughs> every star in the world. <laughs> Dude, if 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 Marvel or Disney ever finds a way to buy all of Marvel's properties back. That's what it'll be. Yeah. Like the, all, like everyone will ev- eventually be in the Avengers, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and that'll, it'll be amazing because I'm sure Jocelyn will find a way to do it. <laughs> I'm not sure how, if Mary Jane, if there's a third one and Mary Jane shows up, I don't know how 
they can have him fall in love with somebody else without addressing the fear that you have to carry into that situation yeah. from like the baggage you have from your previous relationship. And, you know, we've been talking tonight about how we hope that they don't dwell too long on that yeah. same angst. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, just in general, how do you have the courage to love again after something so painful? I, I don't know. I don't know how he could <laughs> fall yeah. in love with somebody else. Unless they were there all along and you're not right. having to re-explain that conflict to them. Right. You yeah. know? Well, and that's, you know, and again, I hate to keep going back to the comics, but, you know, we, Mary Jane is referred to for a really long time in the comics and Peter doesn't want to meet her because it's somebody his aunt's trying to set him up with. Huh. And, and, and she's like, oh, she's the sweetest girl. You're going to love her. And he's just always thinking in thought bubbles, she must be a dog if my aunt, you know, <laughs> like, like she, she can't be so, there's actually like there's actually like a lot of issues where Mary Jane is only mentioned or we only like see a shadow of her or you know she just stopped by but we didn't actually get to see her face because oh Peter's not here well, I'll come back another time you know mm-hmm. they never meet and then when they finally do meet and and uh, you know her famous line is you hit the yeah, you hit the jackpot, Tiger. Um, you know, he opened the door and he's like, whoa. So I, maybe they'll do something like that where it's this kind of like he's trying to avoid it. And then all of a sudden, you know, the the, the old movie love at first sight thing hits or something. But, huh. That could be interesting. Um, but they could make it work maybe like that, I wonder. Well, he just has to be like, come on, Aunt May. Why didn't you tell me she was a smoking hot redhead? <laughs> Yeah, and that's I, if I remember right, that's kind of how Stan Lee wrote it too. Because <laughs> she was just this party girl in the comics, and she just—I mean, it was really like she was stringing Peter along and stuff, and sort of like the the one you can't have is the one you really want, you know, throughout that. So anyway, that's—I guess well, we're all in agreement. We liked uh, we liked Emma Stone's portrayal of Gwen, though it was really yeah. a good one. Well, like you said, I but, but outside of some of the qualms that I have uh, with her uh, graduation speech, mm-hmm. or how it almost gives her like a death, um, a death monologue. Uh huh. But then, to be fair, even Jesus got a death monologue. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but besides some of the, you know, besides some of the uh, nihilism there, uh, you know, about like this kind of life is all we have mm-hmm. that I really like her character portrayal. And I think it's finally a character that we can look up to. And to a certain degree, I think she is the hero of amazing mm-hmm. Spider-Man too. Mm-hmm. Um, even though she can't web sling, which is the thing, because I think ultimately, even though in the new amazing Spider-Man series, they find ways to say with great power comes great responsibility without saying with great power comes great responsibility. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think more so than, Spider-Man or Peter Parker. I think Gwen embodies that. You know, she can't shoot webs. She can't, you know, jump off buildings or yada, 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 or lift cars. It doesn't matter. Like, with all the power that she's been given with, you know, her brains and her station um, and just her abilities, she uses all those things to help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... You know, hopefully something that even though she's gone now, will, like I said, uh, Peter will be able to carry that piece of her with her and let mm-hmm. that change him forever. Right. Um, well, uh, we've kind of come to a pseudo lull. There's some <laughs> other things we, we, we could have mentioned. I mean, you know, 
there there were some things there with Electro that we probably could have gotten into about oh, his yeah. identity and stuff. But um, I want to I want to move to a uh, before we do our come on moments and our favorite moments. I want to do a listener questions segment. Okay. Oh. Um, because I posed the question out there. Uh, I said that we would be recording uh, our next episode on Spider-Man, or The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and asked if anyone had any things that we they wanted us to hear us talk about or, you know, just topics to bring up. And uh, Joshua Crabb uh, was wondering, why can't both sequels produce the quality of the first movie, uh, I guess, in their respective trilogies? And mm-hmm. he's talking about, you know... Um, in in his opinion, the you know Spider Man two didn't live up to kind of what Spider Man one was promising, and from what he's heard and kind of what we're saying, you know, this Amazing Spider Man two isn't really living up to what we were kind of promised in yeah. the Amazing Spider Man. Um, do you find that? Well, I mean, I guess we've already said that Spider Man uh, Spider Man two was kind of critically lauded as the best Spider Man movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. I mean, how how would you address that question? Do, do you think that <laughs> Spider Man Two, or the Amazing Spider Man Two, didn't live up to the the first Amazing Spider Man? Uh, do do I go first? Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. I don't. Um. I really actually like Spider Man Two, the Sam Raimi one. I thought that was the strongest of the films. I definitely have a few problems with it here and there, but uh, for the most part, I felt like that one really got the heart of what spider-man was and um i i thought like finally you know we got a real comic book movie you know and the things that i love about the comics are in this film and uh this one i i think there's a problem and maybe the reason that these sequels don't work part of it is you have this history in comics that you almost have to know something about in order to be excited about it in the first place, you know, because I, I don't know how many uh, friends I've got that aren't into comics like I am. And, and they're like, you're going to see a superhero movie, you know, <laughs> and, and, and until the Avengers, which seemed to have sucked everybody in, it was all kind of that way. So you've got this real problem where comic book fanboys are some of the most unforgiving people on the planet you know when it when it yeah (laughs) because i mean we just like that's not how it happened in the comic you know and and you've you've heard me you know a half a million times tonight already say like the comic says you know but i actually don't mind them changing some of it in the film but i think you have this problem of you're trying to balance what all the fans already know and love something that's so widely done and and while at the same time you're trying to communicate something to an audience that knows absolutely nothing about these characters Mm -hmm. and you're trying to fit them into a world and it's it's one reason why i personally had so much problem with the second hobbit film that came out with peter jackson because it 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 went so far away from the book you know that that it was like trying to create peter jackson's vision and world for it rather than you know something that in literature um, has been so beloved for so long. So I think that might be a reason that, that these other movies that follow the first one, I think they put all their eggs in one basket in that first one a lot of times, and they're trying to make it as good as they can. And it is similar to you know being a musician myself. Uh, it, it's like you have all the time in the world to make your first album. That second one, you have like a year, <laughs> you know, and you've you don't you just don't have the time to dwell on it like you once did. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is you got 
you know, you got to rush to get something out there. Um, so you have a whole lot of dynamics and a whole lot of things you're trying to appeal to. You, you want to appeal to the fanboys in a comic film and you want to appeal to people who know nothing about comics, which, um, I just think it's hard to do. And it's very rare that you get like a Captain America 2, which was just an awesome movie. You know, mm-hmm. you, usually those films are like not that well thought out. And Sp- Amazing Spider-Man 2, for whatever reason, you know, I think Sony's just trying desperately to, like, get a – just be a small ripple in the big pond that the the rock that was Marvel's movies, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. has has caused this ripple. And I think, I think, like, Sony would do a whole lot better to try to figure out their own thing rather than just try to have their own version of an Avengers movie, which it sounds like they're trying to do. And again mm-hmm. – we're already looking three films ahead with them, but I'd like them to tell us the story that they're in now before they right. – <laughs> yeah. we've got so many Easter eggs for what we might see in the next film, but they're not particularly telling well what's there right now. So, uh, yeah, seems so. like a, just a symptom of our culture in general that we – you know – we're looking ahead, trying to keep our livelihood afloat and <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to keep the yeah. franchise afloat and, um, and, and so doing damage what's happening now, like unable to focus in the now and do well now, mm-hmm. you know, make something quality. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I, no, good. No, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just listening. Go ahead. <laughs> well, well, I hope that kind of gives um, a, a little bit of context to why maybe the sequels don't. I, mean, I, I really like the analogy of like you know they can come up with the concepts for the first movie in these trilogies, um, or well, these trilogies, these series of movies for a long time, but then having to rush to put the, put the next one out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe not knowing what they're going to do, maybe sure. not knowing exactly how to make it work, trying to reintroduce characters for people who, for some reason, because there are people who literally probably did not go see the amazing Spider-Man and came to see the amazing Spider-Man too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, and you know, you have to make a film that, that kind of conveys that. So it, it's a lot harder to make a good superhero sequel, which is, yeah. you know, I mean, we saw Iron Man two was not as good as Iron Man. Um, yeah, it just, it was surprising when, you know, Captain, like you said, Captain America, the the, for, uh, the Winter Soldier was an amazing film mm-hmm. because it's just it's not the norm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, from there we'll move to uh, where we get to kind of belittle the movie. <laughs> but I'm sure we've we've all hit on some of these already. So, uh, and Rick, we'll start with you. What was your uh, come on moment when you're watching this movement? Uh, when you're watching this movie, just uh, maybe it was a scene, maybe it was a character, uh, just a, a theme that was throughout. Just anything that you know left you unhappy. Can can I just do like real quickly several, and then instead of just yeah. one? Okay. Yes, because I'm going to do several. Okay, <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, okay. We'll, do ra- we'll do rapid fire. I'll try to go really fast. Uh, the the one thing that's just a personal pet peeve, uh, Harry Osborn. You're not bald. Why do you have a comb over? That was one thing. Um, there's. Uh, Let's see. The, oh, right at the very first start of the movie, um, you have this James Bond type fight on an airplane with Peter's father, which, again, that's kind of strange for the comics to have because <laughs> they just died in a car accident on a mm. on a drive. Uh, something like that was written in later. But what I thought was funny was like they blow a hole in the side of the plane and the guy goes flying out, but the laptop doesn't. 
Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking if this is supposed to be 20 years back or whatever it was, did they have wireless internet and then wireless internet, especially on airplanes, you know, <laughs> at that time? Because you're looking back when, when Peter's a young boy. I don't know how many years exactly, but that was a stretch to me. Um, and I don't mind, uh, having to come in with a little bit of disbelief but i want the film to play by its own rules that it creates yeah. you know um i hated like the fake dubstep music when electro is battling and it's like you know and i was like what on earth are we supposed to be hearing his thoughts or whatever um so and then the other thing uh, that the, the inconsistency of the Spider-Man costume in this film alone, if you look some scenes, he has like this, um, these eyes that look like mirrors where they reflect everything. And then there's other scenes, they look like white webs or something that are not reflective at all. And it changes throughout the film <laughs> depending on the scene. And so again, I just wanted the movie to like, um, play by its own rules that it was making. Again, you can you can stretch my imagination to believe something that's not reality, but stay consistent with whatever you have. So um, there's there's lots more I could go on, but I don't want to take up too much time. But th- those were a few of the things that I thought were kind of like, uh, yeah, okay, cool, great. More. Um, let's see. <laughs> Unfortunately, as I was watching, um, the amazing Spider-Man two, there were a lot of places where I was like, wait a minute. And I didn't want to feel that way when I was watching the movie. I just wanted to enjoy the movie. But one of them was, um, there were two scenes that felt so rushed and, and I just was sitting there watching it feeling like, oh, I'm supposed to be getting some plot point that's going to be significant later on. And one of them was when, after passionately kissing her at their graduation, Peter is suddenly at dinner that night like, I can't do this anymore. Yes, yes. Um, the other one is when Harry comes in and uh, tells his entire backstory to his father about how he got kicked <laughs> off to boarding school, <laughs> uh, just for our convenience. Um, Thanks, Harry. Yeah. And I guess it's because of science that uh, <laughs> even though Electro is incorporeal, he can still become he can still come back wearing clothes and they can I get mean, and they can get hit by a car yeah <laughs> exactly um but i think one thing that um is still kind of bothering me um which is why i think i've just been thinking a lot about the film after seeing it even days after seeing it is that i feel like um i feel like the end about you know like gwen becoming immortal in terms of um in terms of being with being with Peter for the rest of his life like affecting him with her sacrifice and her speech about being hope to people and overcoming your suffering i feel like all that feels really good but if you dig very deep into that um i don't know i just feel this underlying sense of um dread that that could be true that that's all there is that we're only going to live on so much as we live on in our legacy that there's nothing beyond that because if i mean if you dig really deep into um that concept you know is is that whole speech about like being hope to other people is that strong enough to keep peter afloat like above his grief like for a long time or is it just going to be like a temporary effect you know like what is What's really the lasting impact that is going to make him overcome his suffering? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, just, yeah. Because, 
if it's only that, like, oh, I'm just going to do good in life, um, and that's, you know, that's the lesson to be learned. Well, he was trying to grasp for good things and happiness and joy, and then a few moments later, all his joy shattered, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, if you also take it out to its <clears throat> logical conclusion, which means that you uh, apply that to examples that aren't ideal, outside of a well-to-do, uh, high-scale, well-educated, white, you know, lifestyle, who, you know, you have the free time, the choices, and, the you know, basically the options to choose to do good for other people with mm-hmm. most, the majority of your time. Like, it doesn't leave a lot of hope for people who are on the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, okay, well, if this is all you really have to offer in life, your life doesn't mean very much. Mm-hmm. Because you're so busy making ends meet that you can't. Yeah, you don't have time to. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. like, oh, it's little victories. But I mean, like, people who, well, like I said, you know, people who are born um, with particular disabilities or uh, in unfortunate circumstances that they have no control over. Um, people who have been maligned or imprisoned or uh, embattled all their life uh, due to their circumstances. That really doesn't leave a lot of hope for them. Yeah. Especially long term. I mean, because what legacy are you living then? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. this is very much like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like you be hope for people. You do what you can do, you know? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I want to really be on board with that and just feel like my heart is soaring with Peter, like, you know, picking himself back up from, <laughs> from this tragedy and going back into the world. But, you know, how lasting can that really be? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that, that I think is what is, is troubling to me, even mm-hmm. after days after seeing the film, that I don't want to be troubling to me, but it is. Well, it's, yeah, and you know, when you say that, it reminds me of, if we're going to relate this to Christianity, there's only so, <laughs> there's only so long that the whole scare tactic works, like, come to Jesus so you won't go to hell. You yeah. know, like, that wears off pretty fast, <laughs> like, because mm-hmm. I'm living in the real world. And, and honestly, that's a pretty poor reason to be on the journey. You know, there's actually so, such a, a richness in life in Christ that if, if we're only ignoring it, you know, if we're only focused on just, oh, I, I'm just going to be this way so I can go to heaven when I die. Again, like you said, that's not very good motivation to continue this journey. You know, mm-hmm. there's something got to be deeper to that. So I think that's a very good point you're making. Well... Oh, yeah. Did you, what's your come on, Mikey? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> shifting back to me just complaining about things. <laughs> um, I, I'll say things basically that I mentioned already. Um, the villains in this movie, uh, for different reasons. Uh, Electro, I thought, was a cool concept. I mean, he even looked amazing at times. But ultimately, I thought he was distracting and poorly yeah. developed. Yeah. Um, uh, as much as I like the concept of the Green Goblin being in this, and we've you know we talked about how much we would have preferred this to be about the Green Goblin, it wasn't. So yeah. because it wasn't, he basically seemed like an afterthought, um, just only thrown in to you know do the the ultimate plot twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which you know, like I said, I think is necessary for Peter to develop. Unfortunately, uh, I think Gwen. Gwen living does not help Peter grow. Yeah. Um, even though it is often used as a very crappy way 
to develop characters or to create um, character development. I, I think, you know, this is one of those times where I don't mind it so much. But, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, not, not to skip to the favorite moments, but I thought the Rhino was the only only bad guy that I thought made any sense at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but um, the the other the other big thing that, that stuck out to me was the entire mystery, and, and we you know we hit on this door the mystery of Peter's parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like the, like you said, the the whole movie started with this James Bond like thing that hadn't like basically did not bring anything to the story at all. Yeah, like we're probably going to look back in a movie or two and realize that brings a lot to like the Sinister Six movie. You know, that it didn't seem to really do a lot for Peter um, as a character in his development, not near as much as almost everything else in the movie did. Mm. Um, It just could have been skipped. And I I don't understand why this movie didn't start out like it basically skipped to secondly, Mm -hmm. which was start this movie out with Gwen's speech and this awesome what I thought was a um, truly amazing Spider-Man chasing the bad guys scene, you know, balancing, you know, showing us from the very start of the movie, you know, his balance between Spider-Man and Peter Parker sure. mm-hmm. and showing Spider-Man being fun, being, you know, clever, being quirky, um, being kind of a smart ass to, you know, the bad guy, even in the face of danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was, that was awesome. And I don't understand why they didn't start the movie that way. Yeah. Cause I think that sets the tone for everything that happens afterwards. Yeah. So those, those are kind of some of my moments that just really stuck out like sore thumbs. Yeah. So, for sure. but we changed, we changed our tune now <laughs> to what we like the most. What was your favorite moments, Rick? Uh, you know what? You're going to, probably think this is crazy and probably all the listeners will and i've even like read some reviews i thought this was the weakest part of the film uh and i don't know if it's because i'm a new father or what but honestly the very last scene of the film where um that little boy comes out in the spider-man suit mm-hmm. and he stands up in front of rhino uh to me that encapsulates the character of spider-man better than andrew garfield has in two films uh because one thing I know from from being a longtime Spider-Man reader is the whole spirit of the character is even if I know there's no way I'm going to win this, I'm going to step up, do the right thing, and not give up even if I die. Hmm. <laughs> and somehow there was something so powerful to me. Like I, you'll think this is dumb, maybe, and it's okay. Anybody listening, you can make fun of me, but <laughs> I. I got a little teary when that kid stepped out there mm-hmm. and just kind of stood before the monster. It was almost this David Goliath type thing. Mm-hmm. And this kid, I mean, I don't know if he was so touched and so influenced by Spider-Man who had taken time for him that he so wanted to be heroic and so wanted to help. Uh, you know, like only little kids can, they have imagination you know, thinking they can do what they can't. But I don't know. For me, it was just something I immediately had this vision of, of the weak overcoming the strong. And even as dumb as Paul Giamatti's character as he was playing him as the rhino. And I love Paul Giamatti. I can't wait to see him in the next film. Mm-hmm. But uh, but obviously he's kind of playing the character as this big, dumb brute that doesn't really have a lot of thought other than destruction and, you know, get what I want. Um even he kind of stops in his tracks, you know, and the police, the crowds, everybody are, are like 
standing back and and he starts kind of taunting the kid <laughs> and the kid just kind of stands there and and he's he's like puts on his mask <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh and I don't know I for me probably that's not what the the movie producers want to hear that this simple scene with a little kid was the best part <laughs> of the film but for me for me I don't know why but again maybe just cuz I'm a new father but it, it like it really spoke to me like about the idea of just the weak overcoming the strong, so to speak. And even the way that when uh, Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker comes back on the scene or Spider-Man and he's like, Hey, Spider-Man, why don't you let me handle this one? But that like that scene and the way he, um, the way he treats people he rescues, which ultimately is why Jamie Foxx's character becomes so obsessed with him. He seems to make people feel important you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, i like that about the character and he obviously made this kid feel important enough that this kid wanted to do something to help all these people even though he couldn't you know so mm. all right so yeah. that that was my favorite point well i was gonna say i don't i don't think there's any problems with that at all actually even though it's not my favorite part of the movie the the thing that i loved about that scene was that having gone back and watched spider-man and spider-man 2 both of those movies um have parts in them where like the city stands up yeah. for Spider-Man to show you that like Spider-Man, duh, he is a symbol of hope. Mm-hmm. He is inspiring people. Um, and I, I felt like both the times that that kind of happens in Spider-Man and Spider-Man two, it didn't really fully do it for me. Um, even though like maybe at the time it did, but looking back, it didn't not compared to the, the fact that that kid walks out there and it's completely inspired by Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that did more to show that like Spider-Man was needed ju- as a symbol, if nothing else, yeah, than right. for his superpowers. Um, yeah. better than the than the originals did. Sure, I agree totally. Mm. Laura, <clears throat> uh, one of the scenes that stands out to me the most is the one between. Peter and Aunt May when he is begging her to tell him what she knows about his father. I just think that Sally Field does a great job in that scene. And as I think about it, it makes me realize that Peter actually has a lot of heroes in his own life who shape his concept of heroism. I mean, there's Uncle Ben, there's Gwen, um, there's even Gwen's father to some degree, just some people who have been influential in his life and who have shown him what sacrifice looks like and, um, I mean, Aunt May has, you know, also dealt with trying to overcome um, grief and loss. And and she's been like a she's been a really strong figure despite what she's lost. And um, just that part where she says, you're my boy. You know, she's poured so much into him and she considers him her son. And um, and she's, you know, she's facing losing him, too, to adulthood or to um ghosts of his father i don't know i just thought it was it was a powerful connection between this mother and pseudo son and um i thought it was a sweet moment of just showing her character her strength of character cool i definitely could have probably used a little more aunt may yeah i felt like i felt like in the first trilogy we got a lot of aunt may Mm -hmm. and i don't really think that she was necessarily my favorite part but I feel like Sally Field's done a really good job as Aunt May, and we get very little of her. Well, Peter's still pretty much a kid, you know, and she's mm-hmm. really his only guiding light yeah. that's teaching him. That's alive. 
Yeah, it's a life that's teaching him how to how to live and how to juggle life. And anyway, yeah. Well, uh, my favorite moments, like I said, mostly I've already kind of hit on. Uh, I love I I love the interpretation of Spider Man when he's in the costume. In the in mm-hmm. I mean yeah. not only in Amazing Spider Man two but in the Amazing Spider Man mm-hmm. um, I just I just way prefer it I way prefer um, Garfield to Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. uh, I know I know it's like always a preference thing but I just like I just like his kind of unnecessarily cocky confidence mm-hmm. even though he has really no reason to be until he gets powers. <laughs> um, and then it just kind of, uh, he, he doesn't let it overtake him. Um, but I, I like that version of Spider-Man a lot better. Uh, my Probably the thing that stuck with me most about this particular film was that I thought Gwen was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in the way that Emma Stone played her, but in the way that she was developed and created. She's always running towards danger. She has substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that Gwen and Peter actually have chemistry, you know, like I said, it, it makes that, that last thing have weight, mm-hmm. that last, that kind of, that loss at the end have weight. Um, and speaking of the loss at the end, I think my cheesy favorite thing <laughs> is I felt like I shouldn't even like this, but when it's in slow motion and I realized when it was in slow motion, when Gwen's falling, that they were actually going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the slow motion spider web that basically kind of, turns into a hand almost and it's mm-hmm. reaching out for. Um, it's just, I thought it was a great picture of, you know, an extension of Peter reaching out for something that he's so afraid that he's going to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I felt like it was almost cheesy and you almost shouldn't have had it in there, but it totally worked for me yeah. the first time I saw it. <laughs> and who knows upon uh, subsequent viewings, but I like that imagery. Sure. No, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that more or less wraps us up as far as the movie goes. But as usual, because they have taken time out of their oh-so-busy schedules <laughs> to join me, I love to give people a chance to let you, the listeners, know how you can follow them or get a hold of them or see the work that they're doing. So, Rick... Uh, if people want to follow your work or follow you or just see some of the things that you've been involved in, where can they go? How can they do that? Uh, the easiest way is my website, which is just rickleejames.com. Uh, or you can also follow me, my, uh, my author slash artist page on Facebook. Um, is facebook.com slash Rick Lee James. Uh, I have a podcast that I host, uh, al- almost weekly. Uh, there's a, a few weeks every now and then I don't quite get it out, uh, being a busy guy, but, um, almost every week my podcast is called Voices in My Head. And, uh, you the can. Green Goblin Podcast. The Green Goblin <laughs> Podcast. That's right. Uh, and the reason I call it Voices in My Head is because I kind of cover whatever is, uh, ha- has caught my attention that week. And so I have, uh, I am a musician. I'm a professional singer, songwriter. Um, I've got a, a few songs that have been published uh, with like Lifeway Worship and things like that. I'm a worship pastor. I travel.
travel. So, uh, and I'm also a, an author. I have a new book out called Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms, which I will be uh, teaching a class on uh, at Trevecca Nazarene University this fall. So I'm really excited about that. So if anybody wants to... Uh, get my book or anything just go to rickleejames.com uh if you listen to podcasts uh, i have guests on nearly every week uh musical artists like andrew peterson jason gray michael card uh all sons and daughters whose new album just came out this week at the time of recording um i have authors on i have uh people who uh, are comic book geeks and people like that from time to time matter, <laughs> matter of fact um uh, my friend ben debono of the sci-fi christian podcast uh, we just got back from Chicago. We were at C2E2, one of the biggest comic conventions in the U.S., um, and we actually did a, a, uh, a podcast together that's sort of a crossover between the Sci-Fi Christian podcast and Voices in My Head, which is going to be airing uh, this week. It'll, I say this week. Probably by the time you publish this, it'll, it'll have been out for a few days. It probably um, will have. But all that is to say, just go to rickleejames.com and uh, you'll be able to find a whole lot of information about me. And uh, yeah, so I'll leave it at that, I guess. Thank you very much for giving me time to share that. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, and like I said, it, I know Rick threw a lot of stuff out there, but I'll make sure that I get all those links from him so that um, all that stuff you can find in our uh, show notes, um, as well as anything that Laura Fissel has. I just liked Rick Lee James on Facebook. <laughs> awesome. I'm doing that right now. <laughs> hey, what, one person at a time. That's how we do it. So. <laughs> I um, can be found on Twitter at Laura underscore Fissel. I write this down this time <laughs> so I can remember all my handles. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at LFissel. And I have a blog that I try to post on weekly called leavingteaching.wordpress.com. And I'm going to promote something new this time. Uh -oh. I'm on um, a very small board of directors for a local organization called 24-7 Greensboro. And right now, um, while we're not funded, <laughs> we're a very small organization, we um, try to put on two events a year in the in our local area in which we pray for seven days, 24 seven. And, um, our website is 24 seven greensboro.org. And you can see pictures of what the room looks like. It's, um, it's probably not what you expect when you hear about praying nonstop for seven days. Um, it's a, a creative multi-sensory space. Um, and yeah, I should like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. All that information can be found on our website. Awesome. Uh -huh. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like I said, uh, thanks, guys uh, and girls, uh, women, ladies, beautiful people. Uh, <laughs> so much for joining us this episode. Uh, if you want to keep the discussion going, then please follow at Real World Theo on Twitter. Or if you'd like to know more about Real World Theology, then visit our website, realworldtheology.com. That's R-E-E-L, worldtheology.com. Connect with us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you enjoy it, review the show, leave us some feedback, tell your friends, and let's get more people involved in the conversation. On that note... I want to send a big thank you out to J.R. Foraceros and the Drizzle Hizzle for giving us five stars, five star reviews on iTunes. Nice. Uh, uh, they both had some incredibly kind things to say about the show. So thank you very much. 
Uh, again, I just want to thank my guests for being here. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. Um, you yeah, th- I wanted to thank the listeners for taking time to make us part of your week. And until next episode, just remember that story is powerful and entertainment is not mindless. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.